to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, we're going to look at verses 13 through 32 this morning. And uh, again, our continued studies in the life of Christ. And we're currently on, again, the uh, particular subject of the resurrection. And this will be our, our second look at a study uh, of the resurrection. And it's uh, with the walk, the road, uh, the two on the walk to Emmaus. The walk to Emmaus. Now, Luke's gospel records a very helpful and interesting appearance of Jesus after his resurrection that the other three gospels don't record. It's when Jesus appeared as a stranger at first to two followers of his who left Jerusalem and went to nearby Emmaus. This lengthy record is lengthy compared to the record of the other post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, which Luke records and takes up much of the last chapter of Luke. This incident happened that same day. That is, the first Easter Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the grave in the late afternoon and into the evening. And Jesus came to the two from Emmaus as they were walking to the town of Emmaus. Uh, when people traveled in those days, it was mostly done by foot. And if you didn't walk, well, you rode an animal. But these two were walking. So let's begin now with Luke 24, verse 13. And Luke begins, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was several miles from Jerusalem. Now, who were these two people? Now, as always, there's a, a lot of interesting speculation about these two people as to who they were. But we can be sure about one of the two because his name was given to us here. And in verse 18, his name is Cleopas. But the name of the other person was never mentioned in Scripture. Some say it might be Luke. Some say it could be Nathaniel. Some say it might even be Peter. But I think all of these guesses seem to be really out of the question. And that is, it would seem pretty obvious that the other person who wasn't named was the wife of Cleopas. And they come to this conclusion in the fact that they both urged Jesus to stay the night with them. Because the day, according to Luke twenty four twenty nine, was far spent. That means it was getting late. Hospitality in those days was a lot different and much better than it is today. It wasn't unusual for people to invite others to stay the night with them and, you know, and, or, or have a meal. So who would be more likely to ask somebody to stay, uh, stay overnight with them? The most logical people uh, to live together and invite someone to stay the night with them is a husband and a wife. So most likely these two were Cleopas and his wife. They were leaving Jerusalem after the Passover festivities to go to their home in Emmaus. It says, notice, it says, now behold, behold, two of them were traveling. Two of them were traveling. Know how it signifies them. It points out that there was something different about them. Two of them were traveling. Who were these two? Well, these were two members of a group of close followers of Jesus. The 12 disciples were also part of this group, but not all of this group. They really were a special group. 
but others followed Jesus as well. So they were part of this company of followers of Christ. So Cleopas and his wife had been drawn to Jesus, and they belonged to the group of his followers. So that's what it means by two of them, two of those followers of Christ. And it's important to see that keeping company with the wrong people, ungodly people, will ruin your character. But these two were associated with the best group in the world, as you are, Christ's followers. They kept company with those who followed Jesus. Now, Emmaus, it was a small town. And you know, this is the only place in the whole Bible where Emmaus is mentioned. One time. In the whole Bible. This is the only time it's mentioned in the whole Bible. It says Emmaus was seven miles from Jerusalem. Now even though it wasn't a big or famous city in world history. It's well known. It's a well known town for one reason. Jesus. It's association with Jesus. You see Jesus made the difference. Jesus always makes the difference. Always does. It's the same with all of us. He's the one who's made us different and made the difference in our lives. He's made the difference in our character, in our habits, our homes, our jobs, our families, our conversation, our thinking, and whatever else you can add to the list. He makes the difference. We might be a nobody in this world. We might might not be impressive to the world, but that's okay. Because that's not the important thing. But what is important is our relationship to Jesus Christ. Verse 14 and 15. And they, that is the two, they walked together. uh, uh, I'm sorry, they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So as these two, Cleopas and his wife, were walking to Emmaus down the road together, they were talking about the crucifixion. And they were talking about the things that had happened, that they'd been hearing about the crucifixion. And notice that what they were talking about, it was obviously, it was a good subject. They were having a good conversation. They were talking about spiritual things, which is something important for Christians to think about when they're talking with each other. What's the topic of your conversation most of the time? You see, it says they talked together in verses 15 to uh, 14. They talked together. It says they conversed and they reasoned. These words are important. The meaning of these words indicate that these two were having a serious conversation, uh, conversation about the things that happened over the last few days. And they were trying to figure it all out. You know, what did it all mean? Spiritual questions, things we don't understand isn't unusual to all of us. There's a lot of things I read and, and, and you know, just I don't understand. And, and it raises questions. But it would be beneficial to us to try and to solve these questions, to get answers if we can. And that's why I always tell you guys, if you have any questions, stick around. We, we, we try not to leave you with, well, I try not to leave you with, with questions, but, it, you know, I'm sure there are times that I do. So we encourage questions. So don't be don't be concerned that, well, you know, last church I went to, they didn't want like me asking questions or, you know, just just listen and, and, and take it. We encourage you to ask questions. We want you to know. And so, again, it's important and it's beneficial that we do try to find out the answer to our questions. 
And so they will have a clear understanding of the Bible, his, of the word, and, and who Jesus is. And so, again, we need, we need help sometimes in, in, when it comes to spiritual matters. Look at verse 16 now. Luke goes on to say, But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. What changed everything while the two were on their way to Emmaus was Jesus. Once again, Jesus is going to change everything in these two people's lives. When he joined them as they were talking, the result was it changed everything. Jesus appeared to them as just another casual traveler here, walking the same road to Emmaus. Now, this is the fourth appearance of Jesus after he resurrected. First, he appeared to Mary Magdalene. Then he appeared to the other women at the grave. And then later on in the day, he appeared to Peter, which took place before uh, he appeared to the two walking to Emmaus. Jesus made at least five appearances on that first Easter Sunday. Notice now, he didn't appear to famous people of the world. He didn't go to kings or governors or, 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 or you know, um, anybody of, of high society. He went to his followers. You see, special blessings come to those who have shown a special devotion to Jesus. So as the two are walking down the road, Jesus casually joins, the, joins them in their walk. Now, in those days, this was a perfectly normal thing to do. Now, if you were walking down the sidewalk and somebody just rolled up and said, Hey, how you doing? Where are you going? What's going on? You'd say, This guy's crazy. I got to get out of here. This was perfectly normal in the day of Christ. Perfectly normal thing to do. People in those days would join each other on the roads, on their journeys to wherever they were going, and they would talk together. They would talk to each other about whatever that was going on and wherever they were going. Today, we're not as sociable. We walk alone. We're suspicious of everybody that looks at us or comes close to us. We basically don't want other people, especially strangers, coming up to us and and keeping company with us like it's done here. So the thing that's, that's significant here also is the timing that Jesus just happened to meet up with these two. Jesus joined them when they were in the middle of a serious conversation about Jesus himself. Again, it says, notice they reasoned. They were trying to figure out. That's what the word reason means. They were trying to figure out what the truth was about everything that was going on, about everything that happened in Jerusalem concerning Jesus in the last few days. This moment, when Jesus joined in their conversation, it teaches us a good lesson. It teaches us that if we expect God to help us in spiritual knowledge, we're going to have to show some desire, at least some serious desire and effort in our search for this knowledge. Because God isn't in the habit of blessing people with great spiritual enlightenment like he did these two on the road to Emmaus unless there's first some sign that you're interested in spiritual things. Jesus will guide those who are sincerely seeking to know the truth. Hebrews eleven sixteen says he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Notice diligently who really want to know about him. Our faith in God will grow as we fellowship with God. Now, we have to have both the desire to please him and the diligence to seek him. Like in prayer, meditating on the word, worship, discipline, all of these things help us with our walk with God. 
God's word is essential to us. It is important to us. It is if it's going to if we're going to pursue God, his word is essential. People's disinterest in God is because of a lack of faith. Those who really and seriously try to learn the truth and to do his will. And if his people will do this, he won't leave them baffled and he won't leave them wondering. Look at verse 16. It says, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. God divinely kept these two from recognizing who Jesus was. Now, in Mark 16, Mark says he appeared in a different form to two of his followers. So to them, to Cleopas and his wife, Jesus was just another stranger traveling down the road. Now, it says here that God restrained them. The word restrained means God held back. God held back with divine power their eyes from recognizing who Jesus is. Now, why would God do that? Why wouldn't God want them to know immediately who he is and that he's resurrected and, and, and he's out of the grave and all that he had proclaimed has taken place? Well, I think if they recognized, if they would have recognized Jesus, they probably would have just been so overwhelmed. They would have been beside themselves. They would have been so full of questions and so curious that their minds would have been all over the place. And Jesus probably couldn't have got a, a word in edgewise. You know, Jesus, how come? And, and, when, and Jesus, trying to you know, explain to them about who he is, he wouldn't have been able to show them very much in Scripture. And they needed to know the Scriptures. Because, you see, their faith needed to be based on the Word of God and not the bodily presence of Christ. That's important for us to understand. You see, he was going to ascend shortly. He wasn't going to be with them all the time. It's the same for believers today. It's God's word that God wants us to know. It's God's word that's to be the basis of our faith. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Paul said in Romans 10, 17, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I believe it was Hebrews eleven six 6 says, That without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith comes by hearing and knowing God's word. God keeping them from recognizing Jesus allowed Jesus to teach them in depth the word of God. And it was that teaching that caused their hearts to burn with them later on down the road. You see, Christians need to learn from this. We have so many distractions today. We need to eliminate many of the distractions and hindrances that take our attention away from learning the word of God, from spending time in God's word. Now, as soon as Jesus joined the two on the road to Emmaus, Jesus just struck up this conversation with them. And during this conversation with them, he'd pull out of them what they believed and how they felt about the things that had just taken place in Jerusalem in the last few days and then he would explain to them what those things meant. Let's look at verse 17 and then 19. Verse 17, and Jesus said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Verse 19, and he said to them, what things? So Jesus joins them on this walk, during the, on this road to Emmaus, and Je- Jesus simply asks them, hey guys, what are you talking about? 
You know, what's going on? You know, what, you, know you, you seem to be talking about something really seriously. Or I, I can know what it's all about. And it was obvious that they were talking seriously about something because Jesus asked them, what things? Which means, hey, guys, what specifically are you guys talking about? Now, Jesus wasn't ignorant about what they were talking about. But again, he wanted them to explain in a more detailed way just exactly what is it they were puzzled about. Not only that, he was also concerned about why they were sad. You see, there was a lot of sadness on that first Easter Sunday among the followers of Jesus. Mark 16 says the disciples were grieving and weeping. John 20 tells us that Mary Magdalene was standing outside the tomb and she was crying. These two are walking down the road to Emmaus and they're sad. I mean, this first Easter Sunday should have been the most exciting and joyful and, and time of celebration. But it tells us something. They must have not believed the word. They must have not believed what Jesus said. I'm going to resurrect on the third day. All of this sadness wasn't necessary. It was all because these followers did not believe what Jesus said about rising the third day. And it shows you what unbelief does. It brings weeping and grieving, crying. Unbelief does not bring joy. Unbelief was at the root of their sadness. Unbelief does not bring joy to a person's life. It brings doubt, it brings insecurity, and it brings unhappiness. And the greatest unhappiness of all is going to be eternal damnation where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth forever as the unbeliever rejects Christ. And they will suffer, suffer everlasting punishment in everlasting fire. And the devil would try to tell you that living a life of faith in Christ is a real downer. A real killjoy. But what a huge lie that is. And remember, Satan is the father of lies. Hey, it's living a life of unbelief that is a real downer. John said in 1 John 1, 3 and 4, Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Psalm sixteen eleven: In your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's with Christ and in Christ that we have the greatest joy. And remember, Jesus said in John 10, 9 and 10, the thief, which is the devil, does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Are you enjoying the abundant life in Christ today? Or are you being robbed and ruined by Satan? So in response to Jesus' question, what things, when he asked Cleopas and his wife, what things, what is it you're just talking about? Cleopas begins to tell this stranger about what they were talking about. Look at verse 18. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? Cleopas's reply to Jesus was one of disbelief with a touch of sarcasm. It's as if he was saying to Jesus, duh, are you the only one in Jerusalem 
who doesn't know what's happened here in the last few days? The insinuation is that anyone who doesn't know what's been going on in, in the last few days in Jerusalem regarding the crucifixion must be a real dunce or in the dark. Because it seems impossible that anyone anywhere around Jerusalem should be so ignorant that they don't know about the shocking things that have taken place in the last few days in Jerusalem, like the crucifixion, the darkness, the earthquake, the veil torn in two. How could anybody be so in the dark that they don't know what's going on? When Jesus asked the second question, what things? Cleopas began to tell them or tell him what had been going on in Jerusalem. And what all the commotion was about. It all had to do, he tells tells the stranger, it all had to do with this Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet, mighty indeed. Now, Cleopas didn't call him the Messiah anymore. Because, you see, death didn't seem to fit the profile of Messiah. It would be a contradiction for somebody who was to be a Messiah. How, How could a Messiah, the Savior of the world, be killed? But death would fit the ordinary thing. It would be an ordinary thing for a prophet. He's just a man. Jesus was mighty indeed, he said, which speaks of his power because Jesus did many miracles. He was also mighty in word, Cleopas said. Nobody taught better than Jesus did. And the people praised him. We read in Matthew 13, when he had come down to his country, speaking of Jesus, Jesus taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Nobody heard Jesus teach the way he did. Then in verse 20. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. So Cleopas didn't hesitate to tell this stranger, who was really Jesus, who was to blame for all of this. He said the religious leaders did. Verse 21. But we were hoping, notice past tense, but we were hoping that it was he, the Messiah, who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. So notice, his words, Cleopas' words, show us that, that Cleopas and his companion, his wife, had a lot different view of Jesus' ministry than what it really was. Like many in Israel, they were looking for a political Messiah. In other words, they were looking for somebody, a Messiah, who would come in and overthrow the Roman government. A political Messiah that would deliver them from the from the oppression of Rome, like the time God delivered Israel from the oppression of Egypt in Moses's day. The people didn't see deliverance from sin. They weren't looking for deliverance from sin. They were only looking for the deliverance from oppression. You see, they wanted a better physical life, not a better spiritual life. Not any different today. A lot of people see Jesus as a spiritual genie who will answer all of their material wishes, but not as a spiritual helper, which is what people need most. The gospel of prosperity and similar ideas taught by some churches and welcomed by many. Don't look at God and Christ and the Bible as above all for improving our holiness, but for improving our earthly pleasure and prosperity. The gospel of health, wealth, and prosperity. That's what people are looking for. 
verses 21 through 23. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that he had also seen a vision of angels uh, who said he was alive. So the report that Jesus' body was removed from the tomb and the resurrection was astonishing to Cleopas and his wife. And they said, you know, this all happened about three days ago, which is significant because it's when Jesus said it would happen. So Cleopas and his companion had remembered Jesus' message about the third day. But they hadn't remembered or believed that the resurrection promise came with it. They said they knew that he would be died and buried on the okay, but the, the third day they didn't believe in the in the resurrection of it. The things were the things that were said were astonishing to them. But you know what? Instead of filling them with hope, they only made that day more upsetting as far as they were concerned. Verse twenty four. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. So this is talking about those who went to the tomb. This is talking about the trip that Peter and John made to the tomb to check out the the women's report that Jesus had risen. And even though the tomb was empty, the big question to Cleopas and his wife was, where was the body? They still didn't believe in the resurrection, even though the same people who reported that the tomb was empty and was verified reported that he was resurrected. They didn't believe the woman's report about seeing Jesus. That he wasn't there, that he resurrected. None of the disciples had believed the report. And they thought it was nothing more than nonsense, just a sick joke. Now, Cleopas He didn't want to embarrass himself by telling people what he thought that was too incredible to to believe. He He didn't want to say, oh man, you know what? He resurrected from the dead. He's alive just like he said he would do. He simply reported, he said, well, you know, Peter and John, they haven't seen him. You know, they just, they they, they just, uh, you know, he, he didn't want to, you know, claim with excitement what had really happened. He just kind of took on that approach. Well, you know, Peter and John, they went and checked out the tomb and he wasn't there. He didn't report what the woman said about seeing him because he didn't want to be embarrassed. Verse 25. Then he, Jesus, said to them, still a stranger to them, he said, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Now, this stranger all of a sudden takes on a whole different personality he takes on a whole different attitude and he strongly disputes cleopas and his wife they must have looked at each other and said who is this they must have been shocked to to be suddenly and powerfully challenged by this stranger who claimed that you know he didn't you know what's going on the stranger was not so ignorant after all about what had happened in jerusalem and by the time jesus was done talking to these two they quickly recognized and confessed, hey, this is the resurrected Savior. They had seen him. The criticism of the two 
by Jesus is is an accusation or an indictment for their lacking faith. Now, the word fools that Jesus uses here is a milder form than used elsewhere in the Bible, like in Matthew, where the word is used to to mean morally worthless or a scoundrel. He wasn't calling them morally worthless people or scoundrels. Here, it's meant one who is unwise, someone who doesn't diligently and wisely apply his mind to something. So these two weren't, in other words, these two weren't using good sense in their evaluation of the crucifixion and the events that were associated with it. And unfortunately, a lot of people have this kind of faith. They don't engage their mind into what they're looking at. They follow foolish ideas and viewpoints from people who aren't qualified to speak about the things of God. You know, people of the world or documentaries on TV that are, that are put on by, you know, secular organizations and secular people are out there telling you about Jesus. They often listen to these things rather than engage their mind, rather than to do the search themselves. They don't think of these very important matters. They don't put their mind into it. That's how you end up with a lot of people in cults. They also come up with crazy doctrines and religious Ideas about their convictions. They're based on feeling or things that, 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 that aren't based in the Bible. True faith. Now, true faith is not opposed to intelligence. True faith is not opposed to being questioned. It's not, a faith, it's not opposed to reason. God gave us a brain and he expects us to use it. But he expects us to be honest and he expects us to be reasonable. God said in Isaiah 118, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Use your brain, use your mind, but be honest and be reasonable. And if you will truly be honest and you will truly be reasonable and you are a thinker, you cannot help but come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus accused the two of being slow of heart or slow of heart to believe. Slow of heart to believe. This is the kind of faith that, 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 that never seems to get enough proof to believe. And a person who has this kind of faith can be given all kinds of proof, but they still won't believe. And, I, and I've seen these people, you say, well, you know, the Bible says this, and this is true, and this is happening. This, well, you know, I, I, well, you know I, I, well, this is what I believe. You've been, they've been given proof, they've been given enough evidence to believe what the Bible, but when, well, you know, this, this is what I believe. They choose not to believe. That's the bottom line. Notice what Jesus said again, slow of heart to believe. Notice that it's the heart that Jesus mentioned that has the problem, not the head. Lack of faith is more than a head problem. It is a heart problem. It's more of a heart problem than a head problem. People don't believe because they don't want to believe. It's not that they can't believe, it's that they won't believe, and there's a huge difference between can't and won't. The heart rebels and refuses to believe. And this was the great problem why many would not believe Jesus Christ. They had more than enough facts. But they simply don't 
want to believe. And it's not, again, it's because they won't. They simply didn't want to believe. They did not want to give up their sins. They didn't want to give up their wicked lifestyles. And as Jesus said, they loved darkness more than light because their actions were evil. They loved their evil behavior. Jesus said they were slow of heart to believe in all, and they were slow to heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Notice, the key word is all. They were slow of heart to believe in in all that the prophets have spoken. They believe some of the things that Jesus said, but not all. The part that they rejected was the suffering part and the crucifixion part. They believed the glory part. And a lot of people have this kind of faith. And that is, they don't believe the whole Bible. And they pick and they choose what they want to believe out of the Bible. For example, some believe in salvation. Everybody wants to be saved. But what they reject is the part of the Bible that speaks about sanctified, holy living. I want to be saved, but without the holy living. Ain't going to happen. They go together. I want to be saved, but I I, I don't want to live like I'm saved. You see, they don't apply all the word of God to their lives. They reject the parts that don't that they, re, they reject the parts that they don't like, the parts that don't make them happy. They reject the parts that, that step on their toes and cramp their ungodly style of living. You can't do that. I mean, people do. But God will deal with that on that day when they stand before him. Notice that Jesus didn't rebuke the two because they didn't believe the women who told them that Jesus resurrected. Now, he could have because those women were credible witnesses. But he rebuked them for not believing the prophets who were much more important than the women, not because they were women, but positionally speaking, they were prophets of God. You see, if you don't believe prophets, you probably won't believe the lesser saints. And if you don't believe God, you probably have trouble believing man. Verse 26 and verse 27. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he noticed he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can you imagine What a great privilege to be taught the word of God by Jesus himself. What a great Bible study that must have been. Now, they'd heard him teach before. But it's pretty obvious they hadn't listened very well because they didn't believe he resurrected. And that's a problem for a lot of people, a lot of us. We don't listen very well. The two two of them had a problem. They had a number of problems. Their faith was lacking. They didn't believe that Calvary was necessary. They didn't believe all the Bible. And they were confused about important spiritual matters. So to correct these problems, notice where Jesus took them. To the Word of God. He didn't take them to a seminar. He didn't take them to, uh, to, to the church or to the synagogue. He took them to the Word of God. 
And who did he teach them about? Jesus. He taught them about himself. And when we witness the people, we want to tell them about Jesus. Jesus of the Bible. Not the Jesus of the world or, or, or our own views and opinions, but the Jesus of the Bible. The two had real problems that first Easter and the remedy for those problems, those troubles they were having was and always is the Word of God. The word expounded in verse 27, it means to unfold the meaning of what is said. It means to explain or to interpret fully. So Jesus interpreted fully. He explained, he unfolded the meaning to Cleopas and his wife, the word of God. And he began with Moses. Notice where he started at the beginning. At the beginning. He began with Moses. If we want to make our teaching effective, it needs to be orderly. We need to read the Bible systematically. Jesus didn't go, well, you know what? This is a cool place over here. Well, you know, well, let's just, you know, and a lot of us do that. We go to our favorite topic or our favorite guy. Oh, I love David. Hey, he's one of our favorites. And, or we go here, we go there, and we jump around. Jesus took him to the beginning. Moses. You see, if you jump around, you're, you're only going to get partial truth. We need to study systematically. We need to read systematically from Genesis to Revelation, line upon line, precept upon precept. It takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. Jesus said here, notice, he said, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? He's showing that out of the scriptures there in verse 20 of 27, um, 25. He says, hey, wasn't it told, wasn't it prophesied that Jesus would suffer all of these things before going to glory? Jesus explained from Moses and all the prophets what had been said about him. And the key to understanding the Bible is to see Jesus Christ on every page. You need to read the Old Testament, church. A lot of people don't like, oh, it's too hard, it's too difficult. You get to Leviticus. No, you know what? If you take your time and get you a good Bible help to go along with it, you'll be blown away. Leviticus was, the hard, was one of the hardest books when I first started reading the Bible. And I spent a lot of time in the Old Testament, I mean the New Testament, because, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, it's about Jesus. That's the Old Testament. That's the Old Lost Testament. And, all. and, and you know, today is the, law, uh, the, the age of grace and Jesus. And, and Pastor Chuck used to tell us, you need to know the Old Testament because it foretells of Christ's coming. And the New Testament is the prophecy, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And I tell you what, when I started studying Leviticus, there's more in Leviticus about Jesus Christ, I believe, than any of the other books in the Old Testament. The temple alone, the tabernacle, the whole thing was a picture of Christ. The colors that they used, the red for the blood, the blue for heaven, the white for purity, the, the gold for deity, the silver for redemption. All spoke of Christ. The, the, the showbread, the bread of life, Jesus Christ, the, the lamps burning continually, the Holy Spirit continually you know, moving in our life. All these things. They all spoke of Christ. 
But again, we need to engage our minds. We need to dig deep into the word of God to find those beautiful nuggets. Jesus expounded to them the word of God. The key to understanding the Bible is to see Jesus, as I said, on every page. Jesus didn't just teach doctrine or prophecy. He taught the things concerning himself. He implied that these two should have understood from the Old Testament what had happened. Hey, you guys, you guys should have known this. Based on the Old Testament. The Old Testament said this was going to happen. Let's close with verses 28 through 32. It says, then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, he blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to him. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? You want your heart to burn? Read the word of God. They didn't want to see Jesus go. They, they, they'd never been so blessed by the study of the Old Testament. They wanted more. They wanted him to stay in the night. And they were insistent. The word constrained, again, it suggests pleading or or compelling force. They were pleading with Jesus to spend the night. So Jesus did. He went home with them. And it says, as they sat down and and, and they they ate together, again, this wasn't communion like what we do on Sundays here once a month. It was a regular meal that they were having. But it says they sat down to eat and it says Jesus took the bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it and he gave it to them. And after that, it says, suddenly their eyes were opened. And they recognized who he was. And just at the moment they recognized who he was, he vanished. Just as fast as they got to know him, just as fast he was gone. They said, it was the Lord. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Notice again. It was the word of God that gave them this holy burning in their heart. Now, while he talked, this was what his words that he he was physically speaking. That was that was just as much the word of God as the scriptures, because Jesus was God and everything he said was the word of God. And we read in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word, the word was with God and the word was God. He is the word. Jesus is the word. It wasn't his bodily presence that caused their heart to burn. It was the word of God. How this points to the place and the importance of the teaching and the preaching of the word of God in the church. We can't see or feel his body. But we have the Holy Spirit to make him real to us from the word of God. And when your heart is troubled or frightened, see Jesus in the word of God. When your faith is weak, see Jesus in the word of God. The first step toward peace is receiving the word of God. So Jesus revealed himself to this couple during an everyday, ordinary meal. And you know what? That's how Jesus often works in the simple, everyday 
things of life. We need to learn to see him in the everyday things of life. Not asking God for, you know, miracles or writing in the sky. But Lord, show me in the everyday everyday things of life. Show me who you are. And Father, we thank you so much for this great chapter, Lord. We thank you for the great lessons found in it, Lord. And God, we thank you for our resurrected Lord. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Father, help us to apply the word of God, Lord. Lord, help us to use our minds, our brain, God. You gave it to us to use. You gave it to us that we might learn great and mighty things, and especially about you, God. To learn the most important thing about life. Who God is. What he's done for us. What he means to us, Lord. Father, help us to engage our minds. Lord, help us to read the scriptures, God. Help us to find you on every page from Genesis to Revelation, Lord. Lord, Lord, help us to believe all that the prophet said, God. To believe and to receive all of your promises, Lord. We thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood that was shed, God. And help us, Lord, to become men and women of the word, Lord. Let us not just tell people, well, that's what I believe, but this is why I believe what I believe. Because God said it. That settles it. It's a done deal. And if you're here this morning and you don't know this wonderful Christ as your Savior, And you want that, ex- that same experience that believers have and the one that Cleopas and his wife had, that, that burning in the heart, knowing that you know you have Christ. This time is for you. The worship team is going to lead us in the time of worship. And as they do, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, And you get up out of your seat. You make your way towards the steps up front. And I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we're going to pray together. A beautiful prayer of faith. Mm -hmm.